Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? All right. Well, I am so glad to be with all of you. We are right in the middle of the Revive the Stones capital campaign. So if you're new, you're like, really? A capital campaign? Welcome. This is actually really exciting and fun, and no one's going to ask you to give anything. We're going to ask you to pray. That's kind of our big thing around here, is we want you to pray about what God might do through you in us trying to uh, build the facility that God has laid on the hearts of our elders and the direction where we're going. And so if you want to get angry at me, that's totally okay. You can text me right here, and I will talk about it uh, on Pastor Plex podcast. So excited for that. Uh, this has been really fun, and... Uh, We've grown from tens of, of, of listeners to 30s of listeners. And so it's really exciting for all of you that have been joining us on that journey. Uh, would love for you to have any feedback you have. Any question about the sermon, any question about relevant cultural topics, uh, we want to hit them all. So uh, we're not afraid of any question. All right, so that's where uh, that part. But back to what we're here for, uh, we're in the middle of a capital campaign. And whenever... I don't know if you guys, sometimes I have PTSD from capital campaigns of my past. And when I was in my uh, late 20s, uh, I was, uh, late 20s, early 30s, I was a part of a church and they were doing a capital campaign and I didn't have much. Like, you know, I was, I just left the army, was spending all my money on seminary. And so therefore there was no, and so I thought that was the capital campaign was for the rich people, right? So that was for the other people. And then all of a sudden I realized that there was something in my heart that sort of got angry at, I'm not sure what it was, but the, the mere fact that they would be asking for money and be talking about money and be talking about that stuff, something inside me just was, was just like, what is up with that? I already gave, I already did what I'm supposed to do. And I realized there was a disconnect in me, and maybe it's only in hindsight when you look at this stuff. There's a disconnect in me for what God was wanting to grow in me because I had a disconnect between worship and giving. And I thought it was all about a building. And I just missed it. And the reality was, I'd grown up in a church where somebody else paid for the building, never even thought about, like, that reality. Uh, that somebody paid for it, somebody had to do that. And so it never occurred to me until later on, as a more mature Christian, what God was wanting to do something in me. And so that's where we are this morning. We're going to be talking about this thing of we can get, get so focused on a building over worship when we don't connect well, worship with giving. When we go, there is no connection between my worship of God and what I give to the church. It's like, my, there's a, like, okay, I'll fund that because I want to keep things going, help those people keep the air conditioning on because uh, it's a little irritating if it gets hot. But like the reality is it doesn't, it's not a, a matter of worship. Or w- we can focus on a building over worship when we don't connect worship with conviction. Or we don't see like it's, there's an intimacy with God that spills over from my prayer life into every aspect of my life. And then finally, we can focus on a building over worship when we don't connect worship with obedience. And that, as a matter of fact, is um, if you guys are wondering why, why I'm wearing this sweet uh, stopwatch around my neck, it's because uh, we're, we've asked people to pray. And so me personally, I've been praying for 40 hours or trying to pray for 40 hours over the, over the 40 days. And um, as we're praying through the Revive Stone, Stones uh, prayer guide, and all that. And, and so that has been my marker. And so it's, for me, I've, I've grown a ton through in my worship just in the 25 hours of prayer that I've put in so far. It's been an incredible time uh, for me to get to draw close to God. And so I want us to get to the place where we see that it's actually that that is 
the primary thing we're wanting people to grow in and that the byproduct is a building. The byproduct of our worship is a building. And so the building provides us an opportunity to worship, to really reflect, to come to the point of crisis of like, uh, the church needs more money than it possibly could ever ask for. And so the point of crisis is, do I trust Jesus in that? And is it going to grow me in that? And that's where we're really asking people to do. And we, oh, we've been walking through Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, he's faced with an unbelievable huge problem as a God-fearing man in Susa, like modern-day Iran. And he has a heart for Jerusalem a thousand miles away. And he spends four and a half months in prayer which is where we sort of got the idea for the 40 days of prayer because we weren't going to do four and a half months of capital campaign. We decided to do roughly 40 days, way, way more doable. And we, so we've been praying just in that mindset, like, God, give me the solution to the problem. And so for four and a half months, he prayed. And then after he prayed, he risked for God's vision. He took uh, the problem to the king of the world at that time, and he knew that he was just God's servant. And so he had a God-sized vision, brought a God-sized vision to God's servant, and said, would you mind uh, footing the bill for this? And the, God, and the king granted him re- his request. And with an army and with a lot of lumber, he went a thousand miles and risked, or, uh, uh, risked his life to, to fulfill God's vision. He gets all the way there, and then immediately he is met with opposition, and he has to respond in faith when the enemy goes, you're not going to build the wall. Will you guys revive the stones from these heaps of rubble and burn ones of that? No, you're not. And so the enemy is there with the army going, we're going to kill you if you try and build that wall. He's got uh, internal opposition. He's got Jews fighting other Jews and say, like, don't build the wall. That's too crazy. That, come back. Come live where it's safe. And let's just kind of, we got a, an IRA to think about. And then uh, the reality is he finally had, like, these Jews that were taking advantage of each other. Like, God's people were you know, doing payday loans on others, and they were making their brothers slaves. And so he he responds in faith and sort of says, he corrects a lot of the issues that they had going on as as a community of faith, and then challenges them to build a wall. And they do. They do. And that's kind of where we left off, is that they'd finish building the wall. And that's where we're going to talk about chapter 7 and chapter 8 of what happens after the wall is built. Here's what's weird about the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah presents this huge problem about a, the need for a wall to be built, and then six chapters, it's done. Okay, donezo. Now what? What are you going to do for 7 through 13? What are we going to talk about for after the wall has been built, 7 through 13? That's actually where life starts to get interesting, after they've built the wall. So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to speak to us about exactly after the thing's been built, what the heart of the building was for. You guys, you guys with me? Big secret. Spoiler, it's about worship, but you guys probably knew that. God, thank you uh, that you'd be right here. And as we open up your word, as we seek to uh, share your heart for your people with everybody that is here, God, I, I pray, God, that as you've led our church, you've given a vision to our elders, and we're following, we're walking in that, and we want to figure out the next steps, God. And we've been asking you, what should we be giving? And Lord, I pray that you'd reveal it. But more importantly, God, I pray that our hearts would hit a point of crisis where we would recognize everything is of you. And there's nothing that matters but our worship of you. And through that, um, a byproduct of that would be another way of a building would come because we worshiped well, because we honored you, and we did exactly what you called us to. 
So Lord, help us to discern that uh, through the reading of your word, and would you convict our hearts as you've called us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. All right, here we go. So Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when the wall had been built, everyone went home and took a break. Oh, that's not what it says. Now, when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. Now, I love this. I love this, love this, love this. Because this is like a trivial fact. Gatekeepers, singers, Levites had been appointed. As if like, well, of course you'd appoint the gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. Well, how did he know that? Well, what you may not know is 1 Chronicles chapter 23 through 26 is where David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives a whole bunch of money for the, for the temple. But then he writes out the specific duties of all the gatekeepers, all the Levites, and instead of singers, he had musicians. And I don't know if they went for a, a season of time where they went like Church of Christ and where the, those are the people that don't use uh, instruments or what. And they're like, oh yeah, we don't do instruments. We're holier than that. Or whatever will happen. But for some reason, they only had singers or you know, maybe they just ran out of guitar stores or something. Anyway, so uh, they, they modified it. So you got gatekeepers, singers, and Levites. And they, he puts them all according to what they were supposed to be. And the weird thing about the Levites, you had to be a Levite that had been direct descendant of Aaron and Aaron's clan. So Aaron was a high priest, brother of Moses, and you had to be in, in line with Moses. So that was a big deal. So as he's appointing these Levites, uh, he, God puts something on his heart. So watch this. I want, I want you to see this. He does what God commands in God's word. Then God puts something into his heart. Do you guys see that? I'm going to like... This is, what, this is important. When you obey what God has clearly told you, he reveals to you some of the mysteries. Does that make sense? I, I feel like this is where we get stuck because we can't obey that which God has clearly spoken. And so therefore we're like, God, what, what's God's will for my life? What's your will for my life for who I'm supposed to marry? What's your will for my life for um, the job I'm supposed to do? And you haven't, you're wanting this when you haven't done this. You with me? When we don't obey what's been clear, it's hard for us to hear. Well, that kind of rhymes. When we don't obey what's been clear, it's hard for us to hear. Isn't that true? All right, so that's kind of fun. All right, so then my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. So here's what goes on. He's like, listen, we need to have a genealogical, like, census. Because I got to know who is legit. Levitical rites and who is not, and um, because you could be a Jew, like you didn't have to be born of a Jew to be a Jew. There was like a a way high barrier of entry for men, not so high barrier of entry for women, and it would be a little bit more painful for the guys, and a little bit anesthetic wasn't probably up to modern day standards. But you you could go and become a Jew, and it was an exciting time. They wanted the world to become worshippers of the one true God. Uh, but you could only, if you were in the line of Aaron, could you be a part of the priesthood. And so he goes through it. And so the next, like, verse 6 through 65, it's a long list of names, and all the clans and all the Levitical names are right there. And he says, okay, he, you guys are legit. And then there's a couple of clans in there like, we couldn't really find their genealogy, so they weren't allowed to serve in the priesthood until some priests could get some Umin and Thumin, which is just like another word for the dice that they rolled. Like, are you in or are you out? That's, that's kind of odd that you know, God had dice rolling involved in uh, discerning his will. Anyway, so here's what it was. So, so five through uh, 
65. And then, the whole, verse 66, he gets the whole assembly together. So, priesthood, Levites, everybody, and then all the Jews. And it together was about 42,360. Besides their male and female servants, of whom there are about 7,337. It really felt like Nehemiah could have done well with some Google Sheets. Like, he would just kill some spreadsheets. Uh, and they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736. Their mules were 245. Their camels, 435. And their donkeys, 6,720. And everybody said amen. All right. So he had a huge assembly. Everyone is gathered there. And there's something that happens between verse 69 and verse 70. Like something happens. I don't know what. I don't know if it's a capital campaign speech. I don't know if he, if he says, now everyone... Listen, I have you all gathered here, and we got to fund the ministry for the next 40 years. I don't know what happened. But as they're gathered there, for some unknown reason, to me at least, verse 70. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and about 500 miles of silver. So this is Nehemiah, leads out in giving. And he gives about $2 million worth of stuff, okay? And then, watch this, some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,200 mines of silver, so $20 million. And then the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 mines of silver, and 67 priest garments. So here it is. You have this unbelievable sense of giving. Now watch this. Why I wanted you to see this. It's sort of interesting. Remember, the wall's already been built. So what are they giving for? Like why is it? I mean, this isn't like, hey guys, th- you know, throw 20 bucks in the offering plate. This is like a ton. This is more than these people made probably in a year. This was unbelievable amounts of money. But watch. Worship through giving fueled the next generation of worship. Now watch this, watch this. Remember, the wall's already been built, so what is the money going for? It's to fund the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, all the people that had to be doing the work of the ministry for the next generation. And so it wasn't for, I mean, they probably could have given for like that year's worth, but they gave for a generation's worth of worship to happen. Isn't that cool? And what what prompted that? It was the worship of their heart. They're like, before God, God, you promised in your word that uh, our people would be exiled for 70 years in Babylon. And about 70 years previous to this moment, they had been brought back. And then 50 years passed. And then Ezra the scribe was like, we need to build the temple. And he he brings back another horde of people and he takes a census count of all the genealogy, genealogy. And then they build the temple, but as time goes on, nobody, they, they don't keep repairing the wall. And God sends Nehemiah to build the wall. And all of a sudden, he says, listen, we can't just end with a wall. We're not here to build a building. We're here to worship. That's the reason why you build. That's the reason why you work. Is because the primary thing has always been worship. And I was, and what has been neat in this is... Um, that this, was a, this wasn't a tax. So a lot of times in giving in the Old Testament, it's like, and you will give this. And you w- this was a free will offering. And so 
what I do know is how like pleased God was with his children when they gave this obediently. Um, in fact, th- over the, you know, we've been doing the, the 40 days of prayer, but alongside that, uh, I'm, I've been, you know, I read the Bible every three years all the way through. And right now I'm in Leviticus, which is, man, you want to talk about page turner. <laughs> it is awesome. And so uh, I've been in Leviticus, and what I really enjoyed, and if there's, you know, it's, you know, we're talking about burnt offerings and separating the, the fat and not eating the blood, and they put all the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, the grain offerings, the guilt offerings, chapters one through four, in case you were just, you know, wanted to skip reading it. Anyway, so like it was all this incredible thing about uh about all the offerings. And it kept saying in the passage that the, it was an aroma, the burnt offering was an aroma pleasing to God. The grain offering had an aroma that was pleasing to God. The peace offering had an aroma that was pleasing to God. Even the guilt offering had an aroma that was pleasing to God. And I go, I sat there and I go, does God have a nose? I, I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, you read the Bible, and you're like, yeah, it must have smelled good to God because that's why he wanted it. As if God need like, man, I really need some really, uh, some burnt goat would really just do it for me right now, especially if you get the fat on there. That's what I'm really needing for the aroma. And, you know, we, we know this. It says, the Bible says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So it's not like he was like, can you guys just bring me a couple goats so I can smell them? <laughs> so what was it? What was it about burnt stuff that, was that it said the aroma pleasing to the Lord? What was it about that? It was that obedience. It was that that sense of like God t- calling to do something. And here's what's so cool. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, it's like God's presence, His literal presence, was with the people in the tabernacle. God's presence was with the people in the temple. Okay, meaning it wasn't like God was like annoyed with the people. No, no, God longed to be with His people. In fact, in fact, th- that sort of aroma thing carries on in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 2.15. Paul writes, you are a- the aroma of Christ to God. God loves to linger. In the same feeling, I don't know if you guys ever went to a coffee shop in college, and you're just kind of like, hang- and anytime you go, in, you know, you, that's where you do all your studying, that's where you do all your stuff. Anytime you go back into a coffee shop that has a, that same roast or whatever, you're like, I'm magically back there. Or maybe it was like, you know, whatever the aroma of, maybe it's a perfume or a cologne that you remember that kind of takes you back to a moment, and all of a sudden you're there, and it's like, and there's a closeness. God loves the closeness that comes with worship of a sacrifice. Now, I was trying to figure, like, that sounds, Chris, I, man, I really appreciate that, but that, that's kind of a little intangible for me. And, and I, this week, I was sort of like, God, I need something that kind of helps me communicate this. And on Thursday, I got home after, uh, you know, work and our church, whatever it is. It really feels weird to call it work, but it's, you know, church work thing. So, so I come home, and there's Titus. And Titus, uh, he is, he's four, and so articulation isn't really his, his strength at this moment. He's like, Daddy, I want to show you the nail. And I'm like, the nail, okay. Uh, we got to get this, Austin has a soccer practice. I got to get everyone, you know, kind of motivated and dressed because getting you guys out the door is brutal. And uh, so there's four of you, and, and he's like, Daddy, the nail. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, all right. And he grabs my hand, and he's like trying to pull me, and I don't understand what he, like, the nail? What do you mean? Is there, like, is someone get hurt? 
So he pulls me outside, and I'm like, oh, is there a nail in the front yard? I start looking around, for, and he keeps pulling me, and we go to the street. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this the reason why we have four flat tires this week? I don't know. And so there, I'm looking for the nail. He's like, no, Daddy, the nail. And I keep, I'm like, okay. So we go into our, the front yard of our neighbor. I'm like, okay, we're, we've gone across the street. We're there. And, and I'm like, do they have nails in the yard or something? And then eventually takes me on the sidewalk to the mailbox. The mail, not the nail. I'm like, okay, okay. He goes, Daddy, the nail. Open up the box for the nail. And I'm like, okay. So I, I had my keys on me. I opened the thing. And in there was this envelope with masking tape. No name. And I go, that's weird. And then it, it clicks. This is, my son put this in here somehow. He's somehow gotten mommy to open up the mailbox. And so I got to come here. And it was like a surprise for me. And so I open it. And it is like this, this beautiful artwork of scribbles. <laughs> the purple scribble, the green scribble, and the yellow scribble. And on this side, I'm not sure if you turn it like this, could be like sort of a happy face, but I think it was really intentionally like that. So there's like a half moon and two circles. And I go, oh, thank And then Titus told me a, a story that changed like three different times of what it was. Uh, now, if I had found this on the ground, I would have put it in the trash. But because my son had worked so hard, he wanted me to experience his presence. Like, he couldn't articulate that. But he had planned. He drew this for me. He put it in an envelope and masking taped it because that's the only way he saw things held together was tape. He didn't quite understand the envelope process. And so he had masked, you know, used masking tape and he had put it in there. And for a moment I got, and I was so grateful. I didn't like just hurry us off to soccer practice. And I got down on my knee and I gave him a hug. And I said, this means so much to me, Titus. Because you are my son. And I love you. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And so this is my boy's treasure that I, listen, it's just a paper with scribbles on it, but it represents his heart. And when you talk about giving, it's just a piece of paper with scribbles on it that represents your heart, not for a church, but for God. Not for a pastor, but for God, but what God wants to do through you. And so I, I know that this is, it's, it's, just, it's just an envelope with, a, with some scribbles on it. And what we're going to be asking for, honestly, is, is for us to put an envelope with some scribbles on it, which then ultimately God loves to sit down with us in his presence and say, you are the aroma of Christ to me. Now, what does that mean? You know, when Jesus showed up in the scene, Matthew chapter 3, uh, there's a scene where John the Bap Baptist baptizes Jesus and heaven opens up and a dove descends and there's a voice for heaven that says this, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In other words, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're mine. And there's that joy that comes like, this is my kid. I love you, you're mine. And that's it. like, I, I held Titus, you're my boy. So that's the heart of giving. It's worship to the king. And so uh, we've been asking, you know, in, in fact, a couple years ago, uh, Dave Sheffield had shared with me how in a capital campaign when he was with uh, Hill Country Bible Church Pflugerville, the, the church that planted us, when they were going through their big capital campaign to build their building, he said that Pastor Danny had, had pledged uh, a year's salary 
over three years. So our capital campaign is a three-year time period, and so how much you're going to give. So he, he gave a, a year's salary over three years, and I was like, man, who, how in the world could he do that? And I started praying back then. I was like, God, and I told Adrian, I was like, God, could you please help us give a year's salary over three years? And, and so here we are, and then we have, as we've been praying, I, you know, that's the number I started with, a year's salary over three years. And then God, um, as he does, as he raised it. And I, when I told Adrian, she's like, whoa, I'm not, I wasn't prepared for that. I don't, I don't think, I don't think you're hearing from God right. I think we need to really talk about this uh, a lot. And I was like, no, I, I really feel like it's, it's this. And in fact, it almost feels like it keeps going higher. She's like, no, that is not what it is. I, and I said, well, are you praying about it? She's like, ah. And so she said, uh, she was, she, she prayed about it. She said, God, you're going to have to give me some sort of a sign that that's the number because I just can't see how in the world we could do that. And we were having um, dinner at date night. We were talking about it. I was like, Adrian, I really feel like this is the number. And Adrian, you know, in her head, she goes, God, you're going to have to show me a sign. And then she looks up, and we're at the place we're having dinner at. The address was the uh, number address was the exact number that, we had, that I had said. And it was like a weird number. It wasn't like a round-off number. It was like a weird number. And she goes, oh, well, there it is. And what's cool about that, right, remember, it's, it's like when you obey what God has called you to do, then God reveals his heart about the stuff that's sort of mysterious. And I, if you, you want to know more about that, I would love to talk you through. There's a million ways to figure out how, what God might be calling you to give. But more importantly than what it is, it's your heart. And um, next week, the elders and staff are going to collectively going to present a number to the church, which is really, we're really excited about us sort of leading out that just as the heads of the fathers gave, uh, we're going to do that next week. And then on October 17th, um, we're going to be asking all of you to fill out one of these. In fact, uh, Joel, Joseph, uh, James, could you hand out uh, these commitment cards? These are, uh, the commitment cards we had previously were awesome, but these are more awesome. Might have been, uh, there might have been something that wasn't correct on them, and now they're more perfectly not errorified. So these are great. Uh, so I'd love for you to take one of these. And what I want you to do is pray over it. It's like, God, what would you have me give? Show me how I can give the largest gift I've ever given to fulfill your vision and let it become from a heart of worship. And I know whatever I give, you already have it. But my heart of worship comes to be the aroma of Christ to you because I know I'm pleasing to you. And when I do whatever gift I offer, I know that you're going to enjoy it. So speak to me, God. Because this is what the byproduct of our worship is the building. And so that's where my heart is. And I'm so excited about the commitment card that we're going to be presenting and doing. And that's going to be October 17th. So, man, I'm so pumped for that. Uh, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. On October 24th, we're going to take whatever number that, number that is, and we're going to celebrate it and have a lunch at the land after church to, to, just to glorify God for what he did and celebrate how God has moved. Well, what's cool is so like they what what the all the Israelites and the Jews did they after they gave this tremendous amount of money they all go home and then Nehemiah calls everybody back <laughs> and they have a huge like worship service and all the people so like forty thousand all the people gathered as one man so this is whenever we talk about the body of Christ you know whenever we come together it's like there's a real sense of unity as of being one body with many different gifts here it is. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest 
brought the law before the assembly, before men and women and all who could understand what they heard. Men and women, same area. Like, listen, we want everybody, la di da everybody to understand what God is saying. And so they heard it on the first day of the seventh month. And then Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and he began to read it. And he's up on this high, like, platform so that everybody can see him. And it's, remember, there's 40,000 people. And you got to think, what kind of a voice did he have to be able to reach, I mean, with, prior to PA systems, right? Uh, Charles Spurgeon was like a 19th century preacher. Uh, one of the prerequisites for you to be a pastor was that the girth of your chest had to be a certain width because he didn't want any, he needed barrel-chested men to belt out the Word of God, all right? That, that was part of it. Like, you need to work out a little bit so you could be, before you become a preacher. Uh, but I don't know what kind of, like, he was like, like he was able to just uh, let it roll. But somehow they were able to communicate. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. So if you've ever looked around and see people, like, lifting up their hands in worship, it's from the Bible, just in case you were wondering, right there. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And in verse 7, then the, the Levites, he lists off a bunch of Levites, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So there's 40,000, so the Levites are dispersed all throughout the people. And they read from the book, the, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It was kind of like the first community groups that you've ever seen, right? So like everybody was, they heard one primary teacher, he read it, and then everyone's dispersed like, okay, what he just read, let's go over that. What do you think that that meant? No, no, that's not what it meant. This is what it meant. And he helped them wrap their head around an understanding of the reading. And then Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. In fact, it goes on for several verses, and they're crying, they're grieving. And they're like, stop crying. Listen, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is a great day. But the, but the reality is, when you're convicted by sin through God's word, something happens on the inside. Worship brought conviction through God's word. And, and listen, this is where... Um, if you've been coming to church for any amount of time, whenever the preacher preaches or whenever I'm up here talking, and I've, I've had this experience, I'll come out afterwards and like, wow, that was so great. Uh, you talked about this. I'm like, I didn't mention that. But that's what you heard because <clears throat> when you preach God's word, it's, you know, God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide joint and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's how the word of God works. And so although you may be listening to me going, blah, 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 your heart is hearing conviction of sin, the thing that you're struggling with, the, the porn that you shouldn't have been watching. He didn't even talk about, he was talking about giving. Why am I thinking about porn? Like, why, he's talking about giving. Why am I thinking about treating my wife better? Why, why, he's talking about this. Why am I thinking about all the time I spend on social media, how much time I wasted? Why am I thinking, he's talking about giving. Why am I thinking about my anxiety? Like, all that stuff just sort of comes out because the Lord speaks to you through the, the Word of God has power. Um, so this past Tuesday at my community group, uh, I had something sort of really cool happen. Uh, the first, we had, like, in our capital campaign, like, Revive the Stones Guide, we have, like, question number one. How did God speak to you as, a f as you followed the 40 days of prayer and personal study this week? Well, 
some people got up and they said, well, this week, you know, I really felt like God told me a number. This week, I just felt like I was convicted to X, Y, Z. And then another guy goes, listen, I'm not hearing anything. I'm not here. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. Is it that I'm too sinful? I can't. I've been praying, like you said. I've been asking God, and I want to know what it is. But I don't hear anything. And it's probably because I'm just t- too much of a mess. I'm too sinful. I shouldn't even try or attempt this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember, God's word says this. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, then the truth is not in us. And we're deceiving ourselves. So don't be self-deceived. Anybody who comes around going, I'm good. Got any sin to confess? Nope, I'm good. You are self-deceived. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you know what's, this is where the Catholics have did a really good job at this. Can I, can I just, you know, give a props to the Catholic Church? One of the things they did right is they are all about confession. In fact, it's, you know, part of the sacrament, which then makes it works. And then that's another issue we need to get into. But the reality was the wha- reason why confession booths started was people at the very beginning, in the very beginning of church, they would confess and repent. At church service was all about confession and repentance. Like, here's all my sins. And then everybody confessed their sins, and then they'd be prayed over, and it was powerful. And nobody, not that you didn't have time to get to God's word because everyone was confessing repentance. In fact, all we did on Tuesday night was after that one guy, conf- or he brought that question, the guy goes, I got something I need to share and it's really bad. You guys won't believe it. And he confessed the darkness of his heart and we prayed over him. He had freedom. The next guy was like, I got something. I need. And I got, I got, it was like, it took an, an hour and a half, two hours of that, of people just confessing and repenting and saying, I want to be healed. Because here's what the Bible also says. Confession to God is forgiveness, but confess your sins one to another and then pray for each other that you may be healed. And so what was, has been sort of relegated to a confession booth of unbelievable privacy so that nobody knows became a place of like, I don't want my secrets to be, have power over me and I hold on to that shame. Help me find freedom. Because it's partly, it's half of it is you confessing with other people and the other half is someone praying the gospel over you to find freedom that Jesus died. Your shame is that bad. And Jesus had to come from heaven to earth and he died on the cross for what you deserve was death and he died for you and in your place. And shame off you. Shame off you. And he's healed. And now the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so you can walk in the freedom of Christ. And so through tears and guys just, it was awesome. The power went out. That was kind of cool. And then we had like a little, we turned our phones on so they had lights. It It was very it was intense. It was awesome. And so what I was, I, I was just thinking is like, that's exactly, listen, we didn't get, we didn't talk about giving once. We, we were like, the whole thing was like, let's talk about whatever we we're going to talk about in the community group. And we never made it because all we did was confess, repent, sin all night long. And that's why we're building a building. Because that is worship. Byproduct of that is generosity. Watch, 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 watch. When you, when you imagine, imagine if there were no secrets, if you didn't care, if you were no longer afraid of other people and what they thought, if, if that, that didn't hold you back and you were like, I am free and I'm going to confess that. I don't care who knows and I want someone to pray the gospel over me because I'm not self-deceived thinking I have no sin. And all of a sudden, you not only would your relationship with God be right on, your relationship with people would bring about the healing that God desires for your life, for your marriage, for your parenting, for your children, for all the things that you've been hiding and living in a secret world where it has power over 
you. And everybody in the building wants that. Because that's when you bring this. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And when you come to Christ with all your burden, he, he lifts it off you in this great freedom. You are the aroma of Christ to God. And I think that is where at some point you get so focused on a building, you forget about the worship. And so that's just this one. Br worship brings conviction through God's word. In fact, one of the things that God's convicted me on is that, um, this is sort of bizarre, but I, I've been using um, deadpan humor. Do you guys know what deadpan humor is? It's like where you say a joke, but you don't look like you're telling a joke, and so people think you're serious. And it's kind of like office humor. You know, you know like the office humor? It's like everything's deadpan. And, like, and I just thought people knew that I was kidding. And then they take me serious on some stuff I've said. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how many people have I led astray? Because I, I was using, I, I thought I was being hysterical on the inside. <laughs> and, I, and my wife's like, yeah, I can't even know how to read you half the time when you say the most ridiculous stuff. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, yeah, like, there's a picture of me um, that, you know, from our wedding. And it's like, I'm, like, really happy when I, you know, when I see Adrian for the first time when she's coming down the aisle. And I go, yeah, I just knew the guy was taking the picture, so I smiled real big. And she was, like, so hurt by that. I was like, I'm kidding. Ten years later, I was kidding. What do you mean? She's like, really? You were kidding? I've for I've resented you for ten years because of that. I'm like, oh, uh, oops, sorry. Oh well, crud. All right. Deadpan humor is the note. Then okay, got it. All right, that mental note. Don't do that. All right. So that's what happens, though. It's like the the Lord when you ask Him, God, would you convict me on the things that of you? Because I want to be a man of God who honors you. I want to be a sweet aroma of Christ to God to you, and you love to linger in my presence. All right. So then they keep reading. And verse 14 says, They found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded uh, by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in all Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze, and they lived in the booze. For from the days of Joshua, it's kind of interesting that he's called Joshua here, but it's fine. It's just a, they didn't try and change how it was spelled. The days of Joshua, the, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. No, think about that. That's like a thousand years of being like, oh, yeah, it's in there. Well, we'll do it next year. And there was very great rejoicing. So they're like, we're going to obey God's word now. Now, let's get after it. Let's do it. And worship united Israel to joyfully obey God's word. Now, if you're wondering what the Feast of Booths is, it's literally, you know how like, did you guys ever do this as kids? Or maybe you're a parent now, you do it. Your kids want to go camping, so you do it in the backyard. You put up a tent, and you're like, oh, we're camping now. And then they bring a TV out there, <laughs> and they bring a bunch of snacks, and then like, it's sort of like camping, and somehow they get a fan out there, and it's nothing like camp. It's more like... Anyway, so that's sort of what it was. It was like, go out, go get like a, a, a lean-to and put it in your yard, your courtyard, your roof, and live in that for a week so you can remember. Remember what? How the Lord provided for Israel when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. They had frosted flakes every morning. I mean, manna, but whatever. You know, they, they probably had to put a little... Ooh, this is, tastes great. Same thing for 40 years. Does anybody got any salt? You know, like, you know, like where's the, 
Where's the Tabasco? All right, so that, you know, like that, over 40 years, they, they learned how to make all sorts of different manna dishes, and they ate manna, and they were taken care of, and the Lord provided, and their clothes didn't wear out. There was no Ross or Marshalls to kind of get new shoes. Their shoes had to last, and they did for 40 years. And God, in a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, led them all around. And he would, whenever they built the tabernacle, his presence would into the tabernacle, and he would dwell with his people, which is why he's always been Emmanuel, God with us. And so that is what they started to remember. And they, they lo- they, 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 there was great rejoicing. We are finally going to remember how God has always... And listen, if, once you've been exiled for 70 years, so they were exiled for 70 years, they all come back, and then 50 years later, like, we need to build a temple. And that's what Ezra did 20 years prior. And then 20 years later, they built the wall, and then they reinstituted worship. They worshiped. They, they brought about the worship for the next generation. They're, they're going to build this, this incredible experience and pay for all the, the singers and the gatekeepers and the Levites. They're gonna do, and then they're going to follow up with doing the things that remind them of how good their God is. I love that. And did you guys know that we have something like that that Jesus commanded us to do? And it's called the Lord's Supper. Do you guys remember this? So Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And then he gave it to his disciples. He first broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. And they, and, and they ate of it, right? And kind of the, the reality was, why bread? Well, bread is something that's fairly easily accessible. And for you to do a little memorial service would not take a lot of work or effort. You can go get a tortilla. You can go get a piece of bread, a uh, little, you know, whatever, anything around that sort of looks like a wafer <laughs> or like it, bread. And so he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to the side this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what it's supposed to remind us is that our body, the way our body feeds on bread is the way our soul is supposed to feed on Jesus. And that is the joy that we're supposed to have. And that same night, Jesus took uh, the cup. And he said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And so they did. And they were supposed to remind him that they're, they were awful human beings. But Jesus died on the cross for them. They were that bad. But God, is that good that he was able to die on the cross for their sin and his blood made them clean? And so I wanted us to just take time this morning to get us ourselves right before God. And I want to just take a moment, because remember, what the most important thing we could do is just pray and have, not be self-deceived. Own the stuff that separated us from you, God, from God. And then we would take communion together. And then I want to do something else. As we're singing our last worship song of the day, I'm going to ask our elders and prayer team to come forward. And if there is any, if there's healing that you're needing, like there's, there's sin that you've been hanging on to and you have not had healing, I'm going to have them, I would love for you to come forward and like pray the gospel over me. I want healing in my marriage. I want healing in the scatteredness of my soul and the trauma that I've been infected with and the darkness that I've experienced. Would you pray the gospel over me? In the addiction, in the... Uh, in the frustration, the bitterness I've held towards somebody because of the contempt in my heart. I want you to be like, 
I know I'm forgiven by God, but I want to come and confess that to somebody else and have you pray the gospel over me. And that's a scary thing to do, but it's freeing. It's when all of a sudden the secrets are no longer having power over you and only the gospel does. That's what makes it different. So here's, here's what I'm going to do. Um, we're going to take communion together, all right? So everyone kind of get your little bread out or your wafer out. If you don't see it, it should be in the, in the seat in front of you somewhere. And we're going to take 30 seconds and we're going to pray. And we're just going to ask God to um, forgive us of all of our sin. And then we're going to take the elements together, okay? And because I want our worship to not be about what I can do so that God might accept me. But our worship is going to be what I might do because God already has. Uh, there, was a, there was like a, a YouTube moment uh, from Mars Hill Church a couple, like eight years ago. And Mark Driscoll was screaming at men, going, how dare you? And he's just sc- screaming and screaming, like, you guys are awful. Why turn your life around? And, it, you know, the message was salvation is by grace, but then you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps after you're saved. And the message is always it's salvation by grace through faith and your sanctification. In the same way, this is Colossians 2.15, in the same way you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him. In other words, in the same way you receive Jesus, free, walk in him in the freedom but it comes to the place of you believing that he is ultimate and that what he did on the cross trumps everything else that you experience in life. And so I can imagine that there's probably still sin in your life because you're human. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. So what I want to do is I want to I pray for like about 30 seconds and just give you an opportunity to ask God to forgive you of the darkness in your heart. And if you're not a Christian... This might be the time that you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you in my thoughts, words, actions. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose to that Holy Spirit. Come to my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And then you take communion with us. And maybe you don't remember everything I just said, but you're like, ditto what he said. Jesus saved me. That's fine too. But I want you to go from a place of death to life, stepping through that to see that Jesus has a specific plan for you. And it's not just a made-up story of our imaginary friend to give us an emotional crutch but rather it's our invisible lover of our soul who 2,000 years ago died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead, and that's why we know we have eternal life. So would you guys pray with me? Father, I know that we are in the midst of something really unique. And Jesus, I'm praying that we would confess our sins right now. Just take 30 seconds, God, just privately to you. Or out loud, I guess. Uh, God, I just, I just want us to confess for 30 seconds our darkness of heart and you prepare us to take communion so we can understand that we've been forgiven because of what you did on that cross. the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples. Saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
that same night, Jesus took the cup. This is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. You're forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. The question I have for you guys is, are you worshiping? Is there something preventing you from worship? And I know you just confessed it to God, and you're forgiven. There's your complete freedom. So what I want to do is have our prayer team come stand up here and over here, and that they would receive anybody who wants healing. And so what happens when you come forward, they're going to be standing there, and they're going to say, you're going to say, here's the sin. And then they're going to pray the gospel over it. God, we know that their sin is that bad. It deserved death. And Jesus, you died in their place. But you rose from the dead and you take their shame off of them. Holy Spirit, would you move in their lives that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead would just be a part of their life and they'd be able to experience unbelievable freedom and healing. That's, that's my prayer for this church. That we would build our church upon the rock of what Jesus said, that you can have freedom, that, uh, that he, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And I know in a lot of our lives, it feels like the gates of hell is prevailing. In our marriage, it feels like the gates of hell is winning. In, in our workplace, in our parenting, in our children, the insanity, in a lot of it, it feels like the gates of hell are prevailing. And what I want to believe, Jesus, you're the rock, and I'm going to put my hope in that. And so I'm wondering if you've had the forgiveness, but that secret thing, that the, the thing you've been struggling with, you haven't asked for prayer about. Why? Come. Come to the table. There's freedom. There's hope. There's joy. You know, uh, first service, the, the guy that first brought that up, I asked him if I could share that story. He said, yeah. He said, I just wish I could receive the same healing that so many other people that night got because he brought that up and just watched everyone get healed. I said, do you want to confess and repent? He's like, I can't. But today, at first service, at this point, as everybody kind of came forward, he went over to the corner and he confessed and he repented and he got healed. Don't you want that? you're not a Christian, maybe the very first thing you're going to do is like you're going to say, come, help me understand this thing about Jesus. And love will pray the gospel over you for you to receive it. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and things got hard and friction you know, created and there's bitterness and anger and frustration and hurt and wounds and darkness. Stuff with parents, stuff with spouses, stuff with kids, stuff, with stuff, stuff. It's been burdening you. Come get freedom. Come get healing. Would you pray with me? Father, I'm so grateful that you're still in the business of doing this thing that only you can do. And so, Jesus, we worship you in spirit and in truth, and we cry out to you, Abba, Father, heal us. Show us. God, please do this work in us, through us, that we might be able to be a people who love, know you, serve you, worship you. God, please. And Lord, I'm praying that maybe somebody for the first time would say, Jesus, I need you. I, I don't, I'm so twisted and caught up in my own life, I can't even see straight. And Lord, you would do a great work and they would respond in hope and the gospel would go forth. 
Lord, I'm praying that somebody here, maybe for the first time, would just trust you and say, Jesus, you're mine. God, I'm also praying alongside those people with those who've been Christians or are Christians and they have your Holy Spirit, but they have not listened, they've not obeyed, they have not worshiped with their whole heart. And, and when there's opportunities to confess, they always pass them by because they don't want to be that guy. They want to be weird. And they might be robbing you of your glory that you would come with just your brokenness and your trash would be his treasure as he would be reminded that you are the aroma of Christ to God. And it's in that confession that Jesus, you are above all things. That Jesus, you can heal me and I need someone to pray over me that gospel power. So God, I pray that we would come in spirit and in truth with all of our brokenness we come forward and we confess and we'd I have a place that whatever our needs are, we'd be praying that God, you would meet them in faith, that you would do a work. So Lord, we come this morning asking you to do a great work. So in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say I want you to imagine what would happen if, if we connected everything with worship. If we'd see that our giving is an act of worship, that our, we'd see that the conviction that God is doing in our heart is like when we get to experience being so close to Jesus because he's speaking to us about the darkness of our heart. Imagine what would happen if we just obeyed him and saw that as worship. It would change, listen, it would change you. It allow you to hear from him. It would change your family and your circumstance because you'd be able to see that no matter how bad it got, how good God is. Imagine how that would transform your job or your marriage or your parenting or your children. You name the thing, it would transform everything. It would change this church and it would definitely change that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who connect all things with worship, your every aspect of your life, from your giving to your prayer life, to confession, to repentance, to obedience, connect it all to Jesus and worship. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent. <laughs>